So we've been on a journey, which I'm ending this morning, called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, or EQ. It's a journey into our emotional maturity. We're using Pete Scazzaro's Emotionally Healthy Spirituality as a foundation on which to look at how does this contemplative life work. And so what I'm doing this morning is I'm going to summarize the whole series, and then I'm going to go into concluding on what we call a rule of life. And so if we look at this, and I'm going to run through it for the sake of the podcast and for everyone else, I'm going to go into more detail now, but let's just run through it. What we did was we looked at our emotions and saw how they were an invitation to be with Jesus, to be with God. We saw how we need to know ourselves in order to know God, because if we don't know ourselves, we put up these blockages and we don't get to know God. We went through this thing of going beneath and dealing with our shadow self, our false self, our floating self, as we've called it. And then we looked at this journey through the wall, and I'll define a little bit more of that in a moment. We looked at how with the tools that we could help us do this through freedom sessions, through the Enneagram. We looked at the Genogram to go back in order to go forward. We told them, don't look back, forget about your past. No, we actually need to deal with those things, otherwise we bring those unhelpful patterns into our life now. We looked at enlarging your soul through grief of loss and of death, which I looked at last week. We looked at limits, which Steve did, around the fact that they are gifts, that we've all got limits, that we can't all do the same things, and we can't all do the things that we want to do because we have limits. And uh, they're a gift to us, and they push us into relationship with God. We looked at leading out of our marriage and singleness. We looked at responding to the invitation to go into the wilderness. We looked at slowing down to have loving, loving union with God. And we looked at Sabbath keeping, daily office, and taking sabbaticals. Can you believe that? We've done all of that in this block. And so let's look at the details of how that is. And there's a little model up there. Is I started this off with, with Matthew 26, Jesus finding himself in the Garden of Gethsemane and showing how true he was to his emotions, sweating drops of blood because of the anxiety that he was feeling about the journey he was about to undertake. And there's a whole spectrum of emotions that he expresses when he goes into the temple and clears it out with the righteous anger that he has to the moment that he weeps when he sees the, the, the cause of or the, what, what death causes, and the, the heartache that happens in the context of Mary and Martha when Lazarus dies. And so we see that when we grow up, we start to believe these lies about who we are and about who God is. Cowboys don't cry, guys. No, no, no. Jesus is showing us what it truly is to be human, and to be fully human is to have a full spectrum of emotion. And it's important that we acknowledge that. Otherwise, like I said, we operate out of this false self. And as you can see, what I've got up there, this, this, this kind of floating self. That's not who we are, not who God has created us to be because we believe lies about ourselves and we believe lies about who God is. And this, what psychologists call, our shadows. We have shadows within our hearts and our personalities on who we are and we stop moving into what God has for us because of these belief systems that we have. And so what God does is he takes us on this journey to look beneath the surface. And he says, Gary... Look beneath the surface, go underneath. And the example that I've given for the sake of visitors is I really don't, I, I swim and I enjoy swimming, but I don't enjoy swimming in a lake or a dam because it's slimy, you can't see the bottom. And there was a series recently on TV where there was a serial killer who was dumping bodies into a, a lake. And uh, what happened was there was a drought in that season and these bodies started to surface. And that's what God does, is if we don't look beneath the surface, if we don't choose to have the courage to go on that journey, what happens is he brings walls into our context. And these walls are things that bring crisis and circumstance into our life that we cannot but look at the stuff that's inside of us because the dead body arises as you swim in and in the dam. God wants to deal with these things because he wants to deal with the lies that we believe about ourselves and the lies that we believe about him. And what happens is, is if we don't understand what these walls are, then we can land up in living life in pain and disillusionment when actually a war is a gift that God has given us. And he's saying, Gary, deal with that. It's time. I'm bringing this to stop you to deal with the things in your lives, the shadows. And if we are able to deal with it, the consequences are that we move into a place of increased transformation to be more like Jesus. And then what we did was we, we looked at the, the, the realities of what this looks like in terms of freedom sessions and enneagrams and genograms. And the point is, is those are not the end. Those are a means to the end. 
They are things that God has given us and tools that God has given us through people that help us go, okay. So what happens is, is we, we look at the Enneagram and people go, oh, that's not the gospel. Of course it's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ who came from heaven to earth, crashed in on Project Planet Earth, who lived an amazing sinless life, who died the most horrific death, got buried, and was raised to life. That's the gospel. But what happens in that process is how do I deal with this? How do I know who I am? Well, I've got these tools that if I look at an Enneagram and I look at my personality profile and I go, oh my word, Gary, you're an achiever. You try and do these things and that's why when you're under stress, you become this peacekeeper instead of speaking the truth. Okay. So now I acknowledge, now I see, now I understand. Oh, Genogram, she was. So I've got a history of passive men in my, in, in my history. Why am I being passive right now? Okay, Lord, I need to go back. I need to look at this thing. I need to deal with all of the culture and the way that I was brought up and my, my dad and his dad before them, not to dishonor them, but to go, I don't want to carry on with those patterns in my life. When I see these things, I want to lead and I want to lead strongly and I want to take my kids into that, that they launch off my shoulders and don't have to do the same things that I've done. These are tools. These are helpful things. And in Freedom Session, Deliverance Ministry, to go and to help people, to facilitate them into a place to engage God and deal with the lies that they believe through their traumas, through their whatever the case is, that they've pulled away from God, they've pulled away from community, they've pulled away from the purpose that God has called them to. And so God has given us all of these things. And then what happens is, is we look at these things around the grieving, and we looked at that last week, and it was an emotional tender time, because every single one of us has got loss. Not just death in our lives, but loss. We get older, we start to lose things, our strength, our ability to do things. I used to be able to run the 100 in, I wasn't that quick, but 12 seconds. I think if I managed 15 now, I'd be lucky. We, as we get older, we start to limit, start to increase around our physical capabilities, do we mourn those or do we just try and ignore it and get all upset about it? What about the losses of relationships and friends and family and, and death that's come into our context? Are we grieving that well? Because if we, like I said last week, if we do that well and we deal with this fear of death that God, that, that God has called us into, we are called to have dominion. And one of those things is not to have control over death because we actually can't control our lives because as Steve pointed out in our Gifts of Limit, one of the biggest things that we need to grieve is the fact that we are limited. And we heard that what Pete Scazzera says is, like people say, so how are you doing? All of us go, yes, we're busy. Yes. Maybe our response should be, yo, I'm limited. Yeah, I'm, I'm so limited because it's only 24 hours in a day. My body needs eight hours sleep. I don't know about you, but I need my eight hours. If I don't get my eight hours, then I start to look like this because clearly I haven't had eight hours this week. So I had to work extra hours this week. But I'm limited. I've only got these hours. I've got a family. I've got a amazing wife who I want to spend time with who I've been neglecting. So I look at this process and I go, we're doing EQ and I'm not doing very well this week. And so in this process, we start to acknowledge these deep emotions of the losses and the limitations that we have and the restrictions that we have and the fact that we are not in control. And yet we try and control even to our point of death. Even with our wills, we even try and control while we're in the grave. So these gifts of limits are actually a gift from God because they drive us to be dependent on Him. And Jesus embraced these limits. And when He did that, He trusted in God. He walked into the wilderness. And in His limitations, He understood them as a gift of God and He walked out in the power of the Spirit. And God is calling us to be a people who do the same thing and who follow our Savior. And then Louise and I looked at this thing of what we call living out of our marriage and our singleness. What does that entail? Well, our marriage is actually a depiction and is our lifeless gospel message. If our marriages are good, not perfect, if they're good, then our gospel message to the world out there, it's the strongest one. Because it's the depiction of Christ, the bridegroom in his church, the bride. And if we're able to live that out, it shouts from the rooftops the kingdom of God and the gospel. And in our singleness, what that does is it describes the breadth of Christ's love. Because in our marriage, it describes the depth. Because it's one vow, one person, one, one person that I'm giving all of my love and intimacy to. Yes, I touch others. But in my singleness, or in people who are single, there's a breadth of God's love to the wider range of people because the vow hasn't been made to be limited to one person. So, Dale and Laura then took us on this journey of what does it look like to be in the wilderness? We all think that the wilderness is a bad, desolate place, which on one level it is. 
But in that wilderness place, Jesus used to go there in the mornings and the evenings. They used to go, where is this guy? We need to go. Where's Jesus? But he's out on a hilltop there being with his father in times of silence and solitude, engaging God and saying, God, where to, how to, where to? And God brings him into this place where there's an understanding. And what Dale and Laura adequately told us is that it's a place to be alone with God, to be strengthened, to be fortified, to be in a place where the lies are dealt with, where our identity is grounded, where what happens in those moments is Jesus would not have been able to fight off the devil if he hadn't been in that place. We all think he went there 40 days without food, and oh my word, but actually what God took him on was he strengthened and fortified his spirit that when the enemy came to attack him, he was able to go, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So we look at those wilderness times. They're not bad. They're actually good to withdraw and to be with our Father, to allow Him to do stuff in us that we walk out in the strength of the Spirit. And we respond to that invitation. Because in this process of leading out of our marriage and our singleness and going into the invitation of the wilderness experience, what happens is it's an invitation to slow down for loving union with God. And Sherry and I went through that process. And we talked about the fact that it's not a strategy. It's not some kind of doing things more effectively. No, it's about slowing down to intentionally allow Jesus' will to be present in every aspect of our lives, to allow him full access into our lives, to do his will, his way, and his timing. And then Richard shared on the importance of rest and how it's important for us to take time out. And we looked at the regular practices of daily office, the regular practices of a Sabbath, the regular practice of taking sabbaticals, And I loved what he said. He said, Kairos time is the servant of God's holy purpose. And Augustine said, you have formed us and our souls are restless until we find rest in you. We are restless people in a busy city called Johannesburg unless there's a point in time that we rest in God and otherwise we're going to be, what are we doing? How are we going to go about it? Let's rush there. Let's rush through this. We've got kids. We've got this. We've got church over there. We've got work over there. and, and uh, uh, And we don't stop. And allow God to be center. And it's actually less about time and it's more about attitude. So the picture that I had was, okay, Gary, that's wonderful. You've taken almost 14 minutes to describe this journey that we've been on. And I felt God drop in my spirit this morning just as I was finishing off my prep. Is Gary, imagine one of the ladies in in the office that are are working at Sun International is about to go. In fact, I think they leave this morning or left on Saturday, yesterday, to go to Mauritius. I don't know if you I've never been to Mauritius. It looks amazing. White beaches, turquoise sea, palm trees, sun, food. But all we do is we, I look at those pictures and I go, hmm, that's wonderful, but I don't experience that. So all this journey we've been on, I'm sure there's people here who go, Gary, that's wonderful. That looks so good but I don't experience what you've talked about. This whole process of this emotionally healthy spirituality, I, I don't get it. I'm not experiencing it. I'm looking at the, the pictures of Mauritius, as it were, and going, that's wonderful. How do I get there? How, how do I get there? So hopefully this morning, I'm going to give you some, a vehicle on which to jump into, and it's going to help you take you there. So I've talked about this before. Is whatever spiritual formation you're on, you're on a spiritual formation. Whether you choose it or not, every person in this world is being formed spiritually. Some intentionally, some just by default. So you've got a story. I'm pretty sure if I sat with you, invited you around for dinner, and Louise and I chatted with you guys, we would find out that you've got a story. Your life has got this story. And even right now, I can tell you what my life is. I get up at five, hoppers five in the morning. I go and I wake my kids up. Guys, time for school. Three or four times a week, I don't have a shower because I'm going to go swim. I take my kids, I drop my two little ones off at King's School, Bryanston. I then turn around and I go off to Red Hill School and I drop my next two off. I then go to the Alice Lane Virgin Active and I go swim from anywhere between 30 minutes to 45. Why? Because I need to get my points for discovery. (laughs) And I'm trying to keep healthy just because I'm an achiever. So now, then, I, I, get, I get ready, I go and I have, uh, I get, get my vitality points and I go and I cash those in at the Kauai and I get myself a smoothie. Normally it's the chocolate bliss because that doesn't have banana in or any of the ugly stuff. 
Then what I do is I go and I get into the office about just after 8 o'clock, maybe sometimes closer to half past 8, depending on how long this whole process takes, and I start my work. And then it's 11 o'clock, or actually half past 10, I get a reminder, daily office, Gary. And I've got a breathe function on my watch. For two minutes, I breathe. I engage God. I look at a podcast. I read something. Two minutes to finish off. Okay, back into it, and I go for it. And I work, and I work. Okay, 20 past two. I need to pack up because I've got to go pick up Jordan and Jenna from school. So I pack up. I go in, and I take them. I pick them up, and I get home. Get home at 3 o'clock. They've got swimming at quarter to four. We've got to leave at quarter to four to get them there by quarter past four. Sometimes Louise does that. Sometimes I do it. I take them there. Sometimes if I haven't swum in the morning, I swim at Kuro Aurora with the kids. And then what happens is on a Monday night, I go on a date night with my wife. So somebody else picks the kids up. But generally, this is my day. And then what happens is, is I get home, maybe watch a bit of a series on the TV, um, kiss my wife goodnight. Sometimes I get lucky. Other times I don't. And then I... Excuse me. Exactly. And then the same process happens the next day. You see, you guys all get caught up in that. I've said so much in that process, and you guys get caught up in that. I notice the guys are laughing, the girls are just all embarrassed, and now I feel like I'm embarrassed. So now, the point is, is my life can just go like that. and Your life will just go like that, because whatever the demands are, you'll just keep going. And you'll be the hamster on the wheel, and you'll just let life happen to you, and your story will develop, and you will develop habits. Every one of us have the habits that we do every single day. Some of you have certain breakfasts. Some of you don't have certain breakfasts. Some of you uh, have certain lunches and dinners and whatever the case might be. And then what happens is, is we have this environment in which we operate in, which is called Johannesburg, and the atmosphere of Johannesburg, Egoli, and this, you know, dog eat dog, keep going rat race. And we have relationships that we will forge with people who do the same thing we do. Because we can only build relationships with people who are on the same treadmill as us. Because we don't have time for anybody else. And so we start this process of that's our spiritual formation. But what God's calling us into is this. This morning you are here because I'm pretty sure you are dissatisfied with your spiritual formation. Or you are intentional about your spiritual formation. And you are receiving teaching right now to say, hold on Gary. What you're doing is not helpful. Because you are not becoming more like Jesus. You are just joining the world in this rat race and enjoying this worldly system that just takes you on this thing and takes you further and further away from God. So you get teaching in a moment like this, which goes, oh, wow. She was, okay, I'm feeling like this, and I understand that that's why I'm feeling like this. I'm feeling disconnected from God, and it's like a light. As soon as I pull the plug out, I feel like, oh, wait, hold on, electricity's gone. It's like I think that's what Jesus felt at that moment on the cross where he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Because it was like the plug was pulled and he, he realized, oh my, the lights have gone out. Yet he was the light of the world. So in that moment, we have to understand that how do we deal with this? Now, Gary, okay, great. You've told us all of these things and you've spoken to us about Pete Scazzaro's stuff, emotionally healthy, spiritually, and that's all really wonderful. But how do I deal with this? Well, we need to practice. So we're about to embark on 94.7, aren't we? Well, maybe not all of you. I think you all should write, but that's my own personal opinion. So now the point is, is I'm about to, I haven't started training yet. So we're going on holiday tomorrow, and I'm thinking of taking my bike, because I need to get on, because I actually haven't been on it since last 94.7. And I'm going to be pushing those chariots with Ryan, on, uh, Ryan, with Justin and the guys, in terms of the brain and spinal injured guys. It's hard work. It's at least five and a half hours on the saddle. Your bum gets really sore for five and a half hours. And you're pushing, and your legs, and you get cramps, and you get all of these things. And I know some of you are riding for Hope Risen. And depending on how fit you are. So now what we do is, how many of you have tried to ride the 94.7 with a little training? Yeah, I've done it, I've done it once or twice. Yeah, Rob, how was it? <laughs> yeah. I've tried it once or twice where I did a little bit of training, thinking I was fit because I was swimming. And then coming up the Rosebank Hill, both legs locked. And I'm supposed to be helping Karen who's pulling this chariot, and I'm on the side of the road trying to find my legs again. The point is, is that how do we get fit to ride 94 weeks? We practice. I don't try hard. You see, we can try hard to do all of what we've said over these last few months. 
Come on, guys, pick yourselves up by your shoelaces. Get going. Have a devotional. Get a Sabbath in place. Do this. Do that. Try harder. And guess what will happen? Have you ever tried hard to ride the 94.7 without practice? One's possible. One's impossible. The more I've practiced in terms of the 94.7, gone to cadence, done my rides on the Saturday, when I get to the moment, I go, as much as it's hard, I complete it. As much as this process is hard and difficult, if you practice, you'll get better and better at it. Stop trying hard. Just practice. And God has called us into a place of practice because the more I practice, the more my habits change. And then guess what? I put myself into a community like this. And unfortunately, in a community like this, I've got Sister Scratchy and Brother Bother, and they rub me up the wrong way. Now I have to deal with the issues. Now I have to deal with conflict. Now I have to deal with the differences. Because I'm not just in these relationships that I choose, not well, kind of just land up in because I'm on the same rat race, and we're all doing the same thing. So no one's really scratching me the wrong way. But now we're in a community, and we don't choose each other, do we? We choose a community, and now we're very, very different. You don't choose your family. Your brothers and sisters irritate the living daylight side of you. Just take your siblings or your, your kids at the moment, and what happens? Best of friends one day, next day they're bitter enemies. But then, it's like Dylan and Ella. They're amazing. They, they, they play together so well, and then all of a sudden they are like fire and ice. But then they get to school, and Ella's best friend starts to take on Dylan and say some ugly things. Woo. You want to see the thing within the thing come out of Ella. And she defends her brother. But in the context of community, we, it's different. It's scratchy. It's not easy. But also we have the support and the encouragement. And that's why we need community. And then instead of the environment that just tells us what to do and forces in on us how we do things, we have Holy Spirit who goes, Gary, you need to be doing this. Gary, lead this way. Gary, I need this. Oh, Lord, help me. Fortification. Wilderness moments and God leading me into the future that he has for me. So, instead of, maybe you've got an addiction. Could be a number of things. Maybe you've got anxiety. Maybe there's bitterness in your heart. Maybe there's fear. Maybe there's a whole bunch of things. Well, instead of trying harder, maybe what you should do is practice harder. Or do more practice. In other words, maybe if you're struggling with those things, you get up tomorrow morning and you spend five minutes with Father. Maybe at 11 o'clock at tea time at work, you take five minutes and you go and just breathe a bit and spend another five minutes with your Father. And maybe at three o'clock at tea time, you stop again, take five minutes to be with your Father. And then, you know what, at the end of the day, you look at the day and you say, okay, what, what's happened? How's it gone down? God, what are you saying to me? How are you going there? And then on Sunday, next week, you take 24 hours where you rest and delight in God and you worship him, and you take a Sabbath. What? But that's under the law, Gary. I'll get into that in a moment. Maybe you share a meal with somebody in the community. You go to a life group, or you invite somebody around, and you share, and you delight, and you just bless somebody. How about you bring, on a monthly basis, your tithes and offerings, because you've seen God? What? Oh, here we are in church again, you're speaking about money. No, it's not money. It's your tithes and your offerings. Why? Genesis 14, Abraham sees God. That's what it says. He sees God and he responds. See, when we see God giving into the context of a local community, it's easy. But when we don't see God, then it's, oh, why is, why is God expecting that from me again? What I do want to do is I want to thank this community for the last few months because you guys have come to the party in terms of your giving. And well done. Please keep it up. Please keep it consistent because it really helps us manage all the costs that we've got for this property and for the staff. And so just a, yeah, an encouragement and a well done. So all of this happens in the context of community. Now what happens is, is for each one of us, how many of you have a spiritual formation plan for your lives? Written down. Be honest. How many of you have written down a vision and values and mission statement for your life and set goals? Put up your hand. Hand. Hi. I want to see. I want to get a feeling. Okay. So not only are you guys deficient in actually playing out your lives and just allowing your lives to happen, 
because you're not being intentional or deliberate is a better word. But even in your spiritual formation, you're just allowing it to happen. Oh, I'll, I'll go to church and maybe I'll go to life group now and again and maybe I'll do a little devotional there. That's not planning your life. What I want to do is I want to move you this morning to be intentional. And let me use the word deliberate about your spiritual formation. Because if you're not deliberate about it, it's not going to happen. If you're not deliberate about spending time with your wife or your husband or your kids or doing certain things with your kids, I love what Anthony does with his boys. He's deliberate. He takes his boys one at a time and goes on an excursion for a couple of days to engage and grab a hold of his boys' hearts. How many of us do that? How many of us are sitting opposite a table and going on date nights with, uh, with your kids, with your daughters, guys? And, and, and making sure that you have their hearts, that when a, a suitable suitor comes along, you know whether that person's going to be good for your daughter. And you're able to speak into your daughter's life and say, my babe, he's not the right one. And she knows too. Instead of going, no, dad, I know it, and, and then taking the wrong steps towards that. So this thing, what we call, and what Pete Scazzaro calls, is a rule of life. And a rule of life is exactly what it says up there. It's an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of all of what you do. We have got so many distractions, and as human beings, we leak, that we just drift away from God because life and its problems and its issues and everything else just pulls us away from making God center. And what this rule of life does is it reminds us that God is actually the source of everything. Even your giftings. Go read Deuteronomy chapter 8. And then what happens is you are unique. So there is a unique combination of these spiritual practices and all of what that does that provides the structure to give you direction in your life. Your rule of life is not going to look like mine. But my rule of life will obviously intersect in many ways with Louisa's. Otherwise, we have some problems. And with my kids. And with this community. But each one of us has a unique combination that helps set up this foundation Remember that the starting point and foundation is always our desire to be with God and to love Him. No other reason. Otherwise, what we do is we land up doing stuff that is actually just, oh, because that's what a Christian should do. And the interesting thing is, is that there is linguistically, the word for rule of life in Greek is a word for trellis. And what is a trellis? Well, you can see the picture. It helps stuff grow, doesn't it? The creeper starts to go up the trellis and it helps it get to a place where it can reach maturity and start to produce fruits that other people can come and pick off. And when we have a rule of life and we put a trellis up around our lives, around our spiritual formation, what happens is we start to grow mature, both spiritually and emotionally, and what happens is we start to produce fruit that other people come and pick. Sherry's not here. She's away. And in fact, the only reason we go on holiday is because of that couple who sponsored us for this week away. I don't know about you, but the change in that lady over the last 18 months to two years is dramatic and remarkable. And she expressed that in our time when she preached of spending carpet time with God, making Christ center, and look at the fruit in her lives. And people are commenting, her lifelong friends are going, you have changed for the better. This is amazing. I've got a problem. Please help. Now I've got fruit to give people. I've got fresh bread to give people, not the stale bread that I got from God three years ago. So, what does this rule of life look like? I've, I've given you a sheet. And I've, I've printed out 60, so I don't know if everyone's got it. Who hasn't got one? Are there any left? Maybe some couples can share if there's singles around. So, what I love about this is it's simple. So, it's a bit of a workshop. It's not really a preach from now. Is I, I'm wanting you guys to start a process. Some of you will carry it on. Some of you will think it's the biggest load of garbage. That's fine. Four areas in your life. Just break it down to that. Prayer, relationships, rest, and work. At the big center of all of this is the love of God. Where Remember what Alexander Fender said to us. We... Relate and assimilate. Or in another way, we receive and we give. Remember what Alexander said to us a few weeks ago? He said, if we're not relating to God and receiving what he has, we cannot assimilate who he is. Yes, we are made in the image of God. But if we are not moving from one degree of glory to another in Christ and becoming more like Jesus, what are we giving in the world? 
If he's the center of our life and everything that we do throughout our days, throughout our weeks, throughout our months, then what are we giving the world? Certainly nothing eternal in terms of value. I can give them Gary, but Gary's going to last maybe a couple of days, at best a week. The point is, is if we can break this down to prayer, relationships, rest, and work, we can start to break this down into bite-sized chunks, and we can start this process where we can understand what God wants to do. Because now what happens is, is I've got a work commitment that comes up. And I go, you know what? If I take this commitment, if I take this job, I'm going to have to let go of some of these other things. Am I willing to do that? Maybe for a season, maybe for what's happening. But what am I going to give value to? I need to give value to all of those all the time in different degrees and in different ways. So the problem is with this whole process is there's two temptations. One is you're going to feel paralyzed. You're going to go, oh, my word, where do I even start? Well, I'm giving you a framework on which to start. Or what happens is, is you try to do everything. So if you're a number three on the Enneagram, <laughs> you'll probably start this out trying to run a marathon at a 400-meter pace and get to a kilometer and a half and fall over. A very really wise man once said to me, and a friend of mine, Grant Flo, and he sat us down. We were in eldership at Bryanston. He sat us down. His name was Mark Stolberg. And he said, Gary, Grant, you are trying to run a marathon. And he used the term a 440 pace. So it kind of gives you his age. And he said, you guys need to slow down. You will not get to the end of your life that God intended for you because you will fall over physically. Slow down. There's times in my life I've done that well. And there's times that I don't do that well at all. But the point is, is you need to develop a life, develop, develop a life, develop a rule of life that is for your context, for your season, for your current circumstances, and even for your current spiritual conditioning. No good going and studying, um, trying to think of a, an interesting thing. I actually downloaded a, a, a thing on textual, text, textual criticism. What, what is textual criticism? It's the, how people have translated the Greek into English in terms of the New Testament and what, what it's supposed to be saying and what it's not. And there was a free course that I downloaded. Please don't go and try and do that course if you haven't really done a survey of the New Testament yet. What are the books? Who are the writers? All of those kind of things. So there is a spiritual conditioning that you're in, and it's a dynamic process. And you start small. Look at that. It's a one-pager. In fact, it's not even a one-pager. It's an a 5 that you can just start the process this morning with one or two things. Consider your personality. Really, consider who you are and in this process of the whole setup because some of you will easily go into a place of time and silence and solitude. Others of you, it's like, oh my word, it's quiet. Some of you will be great because you'll have these lists. Like a Bruce Askham. Wanted to see if he was awake. Why? Because that's his personality. So part of this process is how do you go about it, understanding your personality, the seasons that you're in. Maybe you've got kids. Moms? Wow. Try to take a daily office with kids. Try to do some of the stuff when you are newly married, when you've got new things, when you've got aging, aging parents and you've got to look after them. My mom was just in hospital with a type of pneumonia. Going back and forth to the hospital takes time. Some of my daily offices couldn't happen because I was busy doing those kind of things. So here are some questions as you're considering what's in front of you. What do you currently do that nurtures your spirit? What, what fills you with delight? Like as the chariots of fire, where do you feel the pleasure of God? For him it was when he ran. <laughs> I know Steve's the same. For me, it's swimming. To, to be able to get into the pool and just swim. No one can talk to me. And it's just the sound of the water and my own lungs burning. But I, I finish that off and ask my family. There's like a... It fills me with delight. So, so write down those things. What are the things that fill your spirit with delight? Maybe it's a hike. Maybe it's going away just to the bush. Maybe it's camping. Maybe it's 
cycling. Maybe it's, and I'm talking, a lot of the stuff is, is um, exercise, but I'm not necessarily saying that. Maybe it's a sitting down with your kids, board game. I love watching my kids play sport. I love watching them succeed in that. I want to support them and be there. I hardly miss an event of this. It's part of my big rocks that I make sure that I'm there. I would rather get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and work three hours before the day starts so that I can actually go to a sporting event. You see how the rule of life will start to develop in terms of how you run your day and how you run your week. So consider the people, the places, the activities. Who are the people that you love to spend time with that don't suck the life out of you? Who are the people that give you life who when you walk away you go, oh, I so enjoyed that. Write these things down. Maybe you love painting, reading. Louise loves reading. I know I have to give her space to read as much as she has to give me space to go and exercise. We're happier people. We love each other way more, and we're a lot more accommodating for our failures when we're both doing those things. Secondly, what are the people, places, and activities that deplete, that draw from you? Who are the people that you know you can't spend a lot of time with because you walk away feeling like you've got nothing left to give? What are the things that you do that are unhelpful? Like sometimes violent movies are just unhelpful. We watched a human trafficking movie the other night. I don't know if you've seen it, Tabs, the one with um, Bruce Willis. And as much as it's like informative and it's like, okay, you go, oh my word. <sighs> do people really treat other human beings like that? And that's just a movie. So maybe there's violent movies that, that draw from you. Don't do a lot of those things. If horror movies and those kind of things are unhelpful, why watch them? War movies, those kind of things. When you feel so depressed afterwards, why put yourself through those things? You know, when I was growing up, I loved music. And my kids have got that from me. There's music in our house all the time. And if you remember, there was a group or a guy in particular called Black in the 80s. And he sang Wonderful Life. Anybody? Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Bruce. The two that I knew would. But that song depressed the living daylights out of me. I had to stop listening to it. As much as it was a great song, there's some music. And Louise actually says to me when I'm in my study, she knows what kind of mood I'm in. Because if I'm playing Thousand Foot Crutch, she knows I'm in a good mood. Some nice heavy rock. Nice guitar happening. Great drums. But when I'm a little low and depressed, well, Ed Sheeran comes on. Last question. What are the have-tos that impact your rhythm for this season? My folks aren't here this morning, but a have-to is I need to make sure they're taken care of. We've moved them into a retirement village. I know I don't have a lot of time left with them. When I say have-tos, I want to, but they have-tos for the season that have to take priority over other things. Am I going to visit them? Am I looking after them? There are things in different seasons that you're in. When you've got newborn babes, where's Yolanda? She's gone. She was here just now. I think her, her back and her tummies. She's about to, I think it's this week or next week, she's about to give birth. We know, as parents, when you have a new child, oh, my word. You think, I forgot about this. And there's a lot of have-tos in that season which impact your rule of life. It's dynamic. You can't go, oh, here's my rule of life, and I'm going to stick to it, come hell or high water, excuse the expression. We'll call it come heaven or high water is probably the better way to say it. But the point is, is how do we do this? How do we deal with the different things and the different aspects? But what we do is once we put those into play, and once we've looked at the things that either nurture you, deplete you, or are non-negotiable, what we have is we've got a baseline for what we have to do. So if I go back and I look at this, what are the things in these particular areas are the nurtures depleting and non-negotiables. Those are the things that you have to put in. You've got to make sure that you've got those things that are feeding you. You've got to make sure that you're avoiding as much as what depletes you, and you've got to look at the things of the things that the have-tos or the non-negotiables is the better way to say it. And listen to your heart's desires. What does the Word of God say? God will give you the desires of your heart. But 
Well, oh, how do I know that they're the right desires? Well, number one, if they're not sin <laughs> and against the biblical precedent. But there are things in your heart, like, sure, I would love to X, Y, Z. Listen to that. The other thing is, is make sure that whatever those things are, that they're not somebody else's ideas or somebody else's way or rule of life for you. Wives, husbands, likewise. Because you know what? If you've got a happy wife, you've got a happy life. So make sure that your wife's rule of life isn't your rule of life. Consider, where do you have joy? Where do you, where do you play? Where do you have fun? And take baby steps. So let's look. When we're looking at the, the two things of prayer and rest, I want to look at a couple of things for you very quickly, and I'm going to end. Is These are the five major spiritual practices. Silence and solitude, scripture and meditation, your daily offices, your Sabbaths, and your prayer of examine. And I want to touch on these briefly to give you guys insight, because some of these things I haven't done and I think could be really, really helpful. Obviously, times of silence and solitude is keep quiet. <laughs> it's wordless prayer. It's actually, let me sit and listen to what God is saying. Scripture meditation, to take Scripture and to prayerfully consider it, to go through the Gospels. What is God's heart for this? What is God saying? What is God saying for me now? What is God saying for my wider expression? Understand all of this process and know God's heart and thought in it. That would be kind of our normal devotional times that we've probably been taught about in our uh, kind of church interactions. Daily office, I've spoken about this. What is this? This is an ancient art of going, this is where the uh, Muslims hit us for a six. Five times a day, they take time to pray. We go, oh no, that's just legalism. No, it's not. If, if our heart's in the right place, and it's not about the spiritual practice, then what, what is my purpose? My purpose is to stop and to engage God and make Him center so that I understand His will for every moment and decision I'm going to make throughout the day. Gary, you've been a bit anal. No, I'm not. If He is center of it, and every time I'm coming to something, this becomes a natural response. God, what are you saying? Okay, I've been offered this. I'm going through this. I'm doing this. God, what are you saying? And it creates this rhythm of stopping to engage God throughout the day. The prayer of examine. This is a really powerful thing, which I haven't done a lot of. And really what it is, it's a reflection. It's to ask the question of, let me reflect on my day and the moments where I really felt God's Spirit with me and leading, but there were moments where actually I made decisions and I didn't feel God's presence at all. I didn't discern His will. I didn't have Him part of my decision process. Where are those during the day? This takes five minutes. And here are the five steps for that. Number one, just be grateful. Thank you for life. Thank you that my kids are well. And God, that you've blessed me with all of what I have right now. Secondly, review your day with openness and gratitude. All of those things I've just looked at. Pay attention to your emotions as part of what we've looked at. <gasps> Actually, I'm feeling down today. There are some days I wake up and I go, God, this season is killing me. How do I get through it? How do I do this, Lord? Louise and I, this week, we sat down again. It's like, oh my word. I had a 13-hour day on Friday. I left home just after 5 o'clock. I spent the whole day in front of a computer screen doing Sun International South Africa financial statements, balancing deferred tax, balancing retained earnings, balancing a cash flow. You just start to see numbers float after a while. Ask the accountants who've been there. The point is, is with all of this, I realize, okay, I'm down because I'm doing a lot of stuff I don't value right now. But I know it's for a season because I know God's taking me into a place where I'll be able to look at my textual criticism stuff and study it better. Oh, Lord, I sinned today. I know you've forgiven me, but I'm confessing. I'm homologeon. Homologeo means I confess, and it's to say the same as God. But I know I'm your son. And I know, God, I did this and I did that. And I, I know I have your forgiveness, Lord. But I want to express all of my sorrow towards what I've just done because I know that that's what put you on the cross, Jesus. And as much as I'm forgiven and I've got my ticket to heaven, I want your kingdom to come in and through me every single day of my life. So I'm confessing what I've done and I'm acknowledging it as sin. God, I need your grace because God, I did not do a great week this week. I did not examine. I did not do daily office. My Sabbath was a shocker. God, I need to come back into your presence and live my life from that place. Sabbath keeping, 24-hour period. 
How many have started trying this? Hands up, I want to see. Okay, there's some. Good. This is probably the biggest key for our lives in Johannesburg. Not legalism. Taking 24 hours to delight in God, to worship Him, and to just stop and rest. We have found the biggest fruit of this when we've done this. And yes, it's different. Like we said, when we've done it, <laughs> we've realized because of Louise and her personality, if she just spends time with me and the, and the kids, she gets to the end of her Sabbath and feels like the life's been sucked out of her. Because she needs to go and spend time reading as part of that delighting in God, as part of that resting, as part of that rejuvenation. So we understand that in the context of our Sabbath, we are quite different in terms of our family setup. So when we play games and we do this stuff, sometimes Louise doesn't participate, and that's okay. Unique combination, intentional, of all of what we're doing. But we start to rest and we start to trust in God of what he's doing. So here's mine. Some of this I've done really well. Some of this I'm not good at at all. Louise can vouch for this. But I've just put together my stuff. Look at my rest. Exercise three to four times a week. Have well-planned holidays. So we're going away tomorrow for 10 days. Thank you, Lord. But, but I don't want to just go on holiday and clutch out from reality. I want to engage God. I want to sit at the sea, get up early in the morning, watch the sunrise, because God does something in my spirit and in my soul when I do that. Compete in some galas. I love competing. It's part of my personality. So swimming is one thing, but I like to actually, no, compete. So let me plan to be part of some provincial galas, which I've done over the season. So on a Saturday afternoon, which is generally when the Masters galas happen, I go and I spend some alone time with me <laughs> and God and with people that aren't part of this community or family or friends or anybody. Gary just goes and I go and I compete in a gala. Why would you do that? Why? Because sometimes I go to movies and we lose and I on our date nights and we see guys sitting there on their own. I go, how can you go watch a movie on your own? Like, I can't play golf on my own because I only hit about three good shots in a round and I want somebody to see them. Okay, my personality again. But in terms of that, I just go and I, I enjoy competing and I enjoy measuring myself against others and going, hmm, okay, I'm all right. So like a number three, I've got to tell you what I've done. I broke the Gauteng record for 100 breaststrokes. <laughs> and that does my soul good because I'm achieving. But you see the different personalities. Louise goes, oh my word, I'd rather pull my fingernails off with flies. But as part of my Sabbath, as part of what I do, I do that. It's part of something that I make as a big rock in terms of what I do. I make sure that I'm doing those things now, one of the things Louise and I are planning in the next year or two at our 25th anniversary, so we're 24 mar years married in, in, in January, so the following year, we want to take a three to four month sabbatical. I know some people can't do that, but some people can do it a little bit less than that in terms of a month or whatever. But to take every seven years, to take some time out, just to reflect, just to gather your thoughts this is part of the process of what I'm looking at. How do I set up my rule of life? Because if I'm not going to do this, if I'm not going to set this down and put all of these things in here to be present with key friends, to be attentive and fun to Louise, I haven't been attentive and fun to her over this last season. And I know that it erodes us. Okay. As I prepare this over this week, oh my word, not doing well here. Let me bring it back into alignment. And what's great about this is it's simple, isn't it? And it's dynamic. Because in a month's time, in six months' time, this will look quite different for me. I've prayed to be released from working in the corporate world by the end of the year. I'd love you to pray with me. I'd love to do my master's in Greek. I was about to start it when I had to go into the corporate world. I've got to start again to some extent. But I love, I love unpacking the scripture and understanding what God's doing so that I can impart it to you. So, lastly... Here's my final comments. <laughs> you know what? You're going to have trouble sticking to this. Trust me. Part of this process is there are unexpected and unavoidable things. Put margin in your setup. Put margin in your rule of life that you, there are unexpected and things that are going to pop up. Experiment. Keep trying. When you do the Sabbath, try to do half a Sabbath. Try to do 
a Sabbath afternoon. Try to do whatever the case is, but try get into practicing. Not just trying. Practice, practice. The spiritual practice is not the point. You can do a devotional time. You can do a prayer of examine. You can do a, a Sabbath. But when your heart's not right and it's hard, you're going to hear nothing from the Father. What's the point? Rather go fishing or whatever you do. But if our hearts are right, the spiritual practice is a means to get us to Jesus. That is the whole point of all of this stuff. Rest in the journey of being imperfect. We are all imperfect. Rest in it. You're going to make mistakes. You're not going to get it right. It's counterculture to the nth degree, this. It's even counterculture in Christian circles. Because you know what? The Sabbath. Go read Colossians. There is no more Sabbath. We're not under the law anymore. We're not under the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but God showed us right in his creation of Creation. Work six, rest one. It's part of the rhythm of life. Get into the thing because it's a prophetic picture of what God is going to do. We're not living in a monastery, unfortunately, in some ways. Although I want to go on my sabbatical, I want to go to a monastery. I seriously do. I want to go and spend a contemplative month, three to four weeks, in a monastery where I'm just focusing on God. We look at that and we go, oh, it's outdated. I was speaking to somebody this weekend and just saying, they were saying, it's amazing how we've lost, we've become so postmodern in our thinking, so post-truth, as Alexander said, that we forget the ancient paths. These are ancient paths, ladies and gents. Let's get back on them. Expect the start, stops, successes and failures. They're all there and they're going to be there. Again, it's a unique rule of life for each one of us families, contexts, look at the long term. And guess what? Just do it. Let me say Nike to you. Just do it. Nike to you. Just do it. Start somewhere. Start today by putting one thing in each block and start to do all of this stuff. The Christian life, and especially the contemplative life, is a continual discovery of Christ in new and unexpected places. I love uh, Tim Keller and his expression into the global church. And he said the following. He said, the grace of God is like a mansion that you go and explore. And you just seem to find another room after another room after another room after another room. Jesus Christ, as much as we can somewhat comprehend him, he is incomprehensible. And when we start to get onto this journey with him, we just find more and more aspects of who he is, why he is, and how much he loves us. There's a child coming to their father, Dada. We should be the same. We cannot wait to get our time with our father because we know that when we're in his arms and we're in his throne room, that actually no matter what's going on around us in terms of environment, Holy Spirit has us secure, fortifying us for the future that he has destined for us, both as individuals and both as this community called Lifehouse Church.